diving into data. Diving, di diving, d data. Diving into data with T.C. Riley. Hello, hello, hello again, everyone, and welcome into another episode of Diving Into Data. I am your host, T.C. Riley. How are we doing out there? How are you hanging in there? We're already cranking through September, getting towards the end here, about to turn the calendar to October. Nice fall weather coming in for a lot of the country, so hopefully it's nice and comfortable where you are. You're getting to enjoy the time outside. We got an exciting show for you today. Um, definitely a relevant topical show, and it's something that if you pay attention at all to finances and the stock market and things like that, you're probably going to semi be aware of what we're going to talk about today already. But our title this week is Data is Dominating Wall Street. This is not a show to tell you, you know, how to use data in order to day trade better or anything like that. I'm not the expert there, but we are going to talk about two big topics. The first one is data IPOs at a glance and or data IPOs galore, depending on which one you want to go with. We're going to talk about the different data IPOs that have been coming out. There have been a lot of data centric, data related IPOs that have really recently come out. It seems like every week there's a new one that I'm very familiar with in the data and analytics space coming out. So we're going to touch on those, kind of what it means, as well as some of the bigger picture items around that from their recent performance, how well some of them have done right at the opening bell. And then our second topic, we're going to dive into big data in the health and wellness space. There's a nice uh, transition here that kind of hits both of these, both the data space and the healthcare space. Nice little transition there, but we're going to quickly touch on kind of using big data in healthcare. It can be a, kind of a tricky, sticky subject given that there's so much security and privacy around healthcare data. So interesting topic we're going to touch on today. So again, data is dominating Wall Street is the title today. So sit back, relax, grab a drink if you choose to do so. Let's dive into some data. As I mentioned, our first topic this week is data IPOs galore. Before we get started on the actual topic itself, as always, have some great sources I use to help me out that I want to give a shout out to. Really cool Market Watch article I read about why Snowflake and JFrog tell us about the IPO market. A little tie in there with the data side as well as the long-term effects and the uh, outcome that we're looking for from the IPO market. Axios had a really good article on the Unity CEO explaining why they had an unusual IPO. We're going to dive into that and how it ties in really, really well with data, why data is so important. And the last article is from WCCF Tech, an online article I found um, talking about Palantir uh, may be able to float at a record valuation. And we're going to kind of dive into that, another data-related IPO. So first off, Again, to set the stage here, what we're seeing, if you've been following recently IPOs, you've seen we've had a ton of IPOs coming this year, even with all the stuff going on. IPOs are coming hot and heavy. There uh, seems like every day there's someone new launching at the stock exchange. You see their company there ringing the bell, either in person or virtually, whatever it may be. But what I have noticed, again, the data guy, what I've noticed is that there's a data dominance going on. There's a lot more data related things going on in the stock market than I think we've traditionally seen, especially as it relates to the companies themselves. Recent and upcoming waves of IPOs of these companies, they're either heavily tied to data, they're exclusively working with data, um, with big data, data processing, things like that. And there are many different companies coming out. It's not just like we had one um, that we're talking about. We're talking about a wave of them. And we're actually just going to look at ones that have taken place over the last couple of weeks and one coming up in the next couple of weeks. But if we expanded this out for all of 2020, even back into 2019, this is becoming much more common. We're going to kind of dive into why that may be, what it means from a meta picture, and uh, 
why you should maybe think about investing more heavily in those data companies. Uh, specifically, we're going to touch on Snowflake and JFrog, the two that came out last week. Uh, I mentioned we're going to talk about how Unity um, actually used data with their IPO launch. Really cool little thing there if you haven't heard about it. So we'll dive into that as well as Palantir coming up, which is a data centric company. So again, the first thing, if you've been paying attention, lots of data related IPOs. Another theme that we've seen more than in the past is that they're not just data themed or data reliant. Um, that's that's kind of common. And frankly, in 2020, you know, almost every company that goes public is going to have some reliance or tie in with data. No, we're talking about what I would consider data companies. We're not just talking about big data companies in general. We're talking about specific operating companies that have a niche within the data space. It's not just the data field anymore. There are lots of little subsets of this industry, of this field, of this market that companies are popping up to a point where, again, they're listing IPOs now. These aren't just little startups anymore, which is maybe what you think of when you associate data companies coming up and coming to the forefront. It's been really, really interesting to see the reaction to these and the growing number of booming companies tied to data, again, from a data perspective, because it, it points to back to what I kind of sit here and preach every week. Data is becoming more and more important. And data is not just becoming more and more important to every company, but it's the resources you have around that data, the skill sets you have, the technologies, the software, whatever it may be that ties in with the utilization, usage, outcomes of that data that's becoming more and more important. And so the companies that operate in the space, that the especially the SaaS companies and companies similar to that, that have developed these platforms that utilize advanced big data techniques and make them digestible to every company out there, even again, if you're not the master data professional, that is where you've kind of seen this real sweet spot of companies booming. So uh, let's talk about the two specific ones that have launched most recently that you probably heard of. And again, if you follow it all, so Snowflake and JFrog both launched last week. Two very, very large data companies. Um, if you're not familiar with them, so Snowflake is a cloud-based data warehousing company. Um, a differentiator from them and other kind of data warehousing firms out there and uh, options out there, um, it decouples storage and computation functions for a more controlled model that can definitely be more user and price friendly. Uh, pretty much what that means is um, if you are actually um, working with analyzing, computing a lot of data, and if you just have a ton of data in storage, in the past, those two kind of were forced to be tied together, you either paid to have a ton of storage and a ton of computational ability or alternatively, you didn't have either, of, um, uh, you know, either of one um, in large quantities. So you would just have a little bit of storage, a little bit of computation. The Snowflake's been uh, unique in the space that they've really opened up the ability that you don't need ridiculous amounts of data stored in order to have a model that also allows you to be continuously computing, running really advanced models, and vice versa. You can have a ton of storage, but maybe you. It sounds bad. You're not doing a lot with it. That's maybe not the right way to put it, but you aren't doing as much computation. You aren't using as much bandwidth there, um, but that's okay. You can kind of sit and fit a plan that works well for you and it's all cloud-based. Um, so there's not on-premise stuff anymore you have to worry about. So Snowflake's done something really interesting. Uh, they have a couple friends there. Um, might actually try and get one on the show here in a couple weeks, talk about it a little bit, but they've done some really cool things. And the other one is JFrog. So if you haven't heard of JFrog, they're a DevOps platform based in the cloud. Um, I am not a DevOps expert, so I'm not going to go too, too far 
down that path, but it's a more customizable platform that allows for faster software releases. So this is people who are releasing app softwares, things like that. Um, some of the work that they actually do, if it's done through JFrog, allows them to more seamlessly um, push the stuff out. There's less hangups and other options on the market out there. Um, and what we saw with both these releases is they both boomed at the opening. I think they both opened up more than 100% up on their first day, and they saw these huge jumps from their initial IPO. There's the, the initial instinct there um, that I take and I look at that is one, um, there's definitely an appetite for cloud-based data-related platforms in the market. And the long-term perceived value is not one of, well, this is a flash in the pan. These are ones that investors and people who, frankly, really have a good gauge on where the world and the business uh, perspective is going um, have said that yes, these are the companies we want to invest in. So it's great to always see a big jump there. Again, it means that um, it's kind of almost undervalued, you could say in a way. However, as good as that was and as good as the two of those have been in the data space, um, we're going to take a quick tangent here um, where there are some, I'll call them consider this points. Um, you might say they're threats, but just things to consider. Even though it looks really, really good that the two of these specifically, I, I don't want to look at this through this data lens that just kind of specifically restricts me to this. I want to consider everything else going on. And I was looking at this, again, this market watch article that was great. It was talking about how the IPO average of the first day returns, which is again, when the IPO opens, how much it goes up or down that first day. So pretty much a market correction. Um, again, I, I'm sure I'm using the wrong term there for any of you who are professionally operating in this space, but the correction on that first day, you see this and they're up, I think it was an average of like 65% this year um, from what the opening price to what they end their first day at. And the only other time in recent history that we've seen that over the course of a year, a percentage like that, usually it's hovering much more of the 10, 20% area was in about 1999, right before the dot-com crash. So, there is something to consider that, um, especially as these are technologically heavy companies, um, as the dot com crash kind of you know was uh, led by. There is some concern that are we setting ourselves up again for something similar? Are we kind of repeating the mistakes of twenty years ago? This article goes into why they think that it's probably not nearly um, as much of a risk. Not necessarily the case. Uh, market conditions are better first off, and then also because of the dips we had early in the year due to COVID, the really kind of odd market correction we had. Um, specifically tied to COVID. Bankers and underwriters are being a little bit more cautious about overvaluations. They're playing it safe, frankly, a little bit. So that's some stuff to consider. And all this, again, isn't to say that Snowflake and JFR aren't going to be um, amazing long-term and have all this you know, great success. I, I think both are really good companies from what I know about them. I know more about Snowflake than I do about JFrog personally. And I think it's a great platform. They have something really cool the way that they've set this up. But again, all this says to me is it's really cool as a data guy to look out there and see what the lead you know, financial story is or the market story is. And it's about data companies because data matters and it's becoming more and more and more to the forefront. So that's really cool to see. And at sticking with this IPO data theme, our next tie-in is about Unity. So if you don't know what Unity is, Unity is a game creative engine. Um, it powers a lot of mobile games and other applications. Uh, they're really, really known for gaming, but they're branching out into automotive manufacturing, some other industries. However, they're not necessarily a data company. They're a software game engine company. So why are we talking about it here? Well, Unity did something really cool. 
most IPOs, I mentioned that the the whole underwriting thing and undervaluing, overvaluing companies, most IPOs go down that route. They have underwriters and banks pretty much set their offering price. They go and ask them some guidance and they say, hey, we think you should offer X shares at Y price. And that's kind of been the traditional format, the way people do it. While there are other options out there, what Unity did was kind of unique and cool. They use the data. Right now, of course, that seems like such an obvious thing to do, but they went a little further than most companies. They didn't just rely on the bankers and underwriters to do their own analysis and provide it. No, they actually collected a lot of this data themselves. They collected much, much more data on potential investors than a typical IPO, and they used that data on the volume and price of expected sales. They pretty much asked everyone, hey, I, this is going to go public. What would you think about stock at this price for this you know, percent of ownership, this um, volume of shares? And what they did is they used all that data, this tons of outbound data that they got and collected to guide their IPO price. So not only what this did, this that didn't tie the company to whatever, you know, these banks and the external members kind of set. The company was able to get this information. They were able to analyze it. They were able to make some decisions and set the best price for them that also met investor expectations. So, you know, they're not overvaluing. They're not going to cause a bad launch. They know what the market appetite is and what people are expecting, but they're also able to use that information to uh, compare with internal factors on what really is the best course. So I thought that was really, really cool. They use this data. It's something, frankly, I'm going to dive a lot more into. I didn't really know this was a thing until I was hearing about Unity last week and I was prepping for the show. So I'm very curious to kind of see how they went about this, what their method was. Maybe that's something we'll visit on a future show. And But it ended up at like 25 million shares for 52. It closed at $68 at the first day. So again, quite a significant jump there, about a 20, 25% jump there on the first day. So maybe again, compared, I mentioned the rest of them this year, they've compared to like 60, 70% jump on the first day. So data did lead to maybe what you consider a more accurate assessment. However, that big jump still kind of begs the questions above around, is there something else going on with the market? Are people maybe being a little too aggressive with this? We've touched on this in other episodes as well. Um, but it's using this data, underestimating even after all this might indicate that storm on the horizon. However, they're much more accurate. And at the end of the day, I'm going to go back to kind of claiming that, yeah, the data is more accurate than the human perception. So it's really cool what Unity did. And I'd be really curious to see moving forward if more companies kind of take this route and go heavier down this. We're going to do our own analysis and set IPO prices that way instead of going the traditional bank and underwriter path. Interesting topic, interesting and solution, and one that we'll dive into more at a future date. The last one I wanted to quickly touch on in this kind of data IPO space before we transition to our healthcare segment today um, was Palantir, which if you're familiar with this, they build uh, leading data-driven decision software. It's this really, really, really high-powered software that uses ridiculous amounts of data. Um, this is Peter Thiel's company, if you're familiar with the uh, great Peter Thiel and all the things that he's been tied into. But Something that's nice about this one, again, it's very data centric. That's where I'm mentioning it here. Um, its launch is coming up on the 29th. So a week from now, give or take, depending on when you're listening to this. And they're expecting really, really big things from this. The differentiator they have, if I, I didn't make that clear, was they have extremely advanced kind of programming and abilities well beyond uh, what a normal software platform can do, especially when you think about the volumes of data and the amount of analysis that can take place within the software. So it's, it's really, really cool. And also, it's going to be interesting to see what Palantir does, because I would argue they're a much safer or in some ways, maybe more risky than others, but I would say kind of generally safer company to invest in. 
because so much of their business is currently tied into government contracts, which are generally very sticky, very steady, not as much fluctuation as something like cloud computing, which every company uses and could very much go up and down. And the other interesting thing here to think about is who they're kind of going up against uh, in the space. They are kind of a unique software platform um, that doesn't necessarily try to compete in the way that some of the other platforms do. So it's going to be interesting. Another very data centric company, literally a data company in the most uh, in every sense of the word. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do. So data, data, data everywhere in the stock market. Again, to wrap this topic up, it's interesting to see so many data companies that have these huge offerings. I think it points towards more and more people buying into the overall value of data long term and where the business world is heading. I think it's something that if you've been resistant for any of the other episodes and the specific examples and all these little things that we do, it's just another kind of flag pointing you in the direction of data is going to be more and more and more important in the future. Make sure you're taking advantage of it now. You're upskilling your workers to take advantage of it and you're looking at it as a important component of your business moving forward. But at the end of the day, it's also not without its risk. Data IPOs aren't any, you know, safer or uh, less safe than anything else out there. Um, a lot of other ones have boomed this year. So maybe at the end of the day, this has just been a segment for me to plug how much I love data and data centric companies. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break here on diving into data, and then we're going to touch on big data and healthcare and wellness and what that looks like in 2020. We'll be back. Welcome back to Diving Into Data. As I mentioned, our second topic this week is big data and healthcare wellness. We're going to touch on a number of things. Um, as always, of course, my sources first. Great NASDAQ article, new Google-backed healthcare IPO could be hotter than Snowflake. A digital journal article that mentions how big data analytics and healthcare is all about ethics. And a Military Times article about how data analytics can help prevent veteran suicides. A little bit of a heavier topic we're going to end on there, but a very serious and important one. Uh, the first topic I do want to touch on um, is that NASDAQ article I was mentioning. The new Google-backed healthcare IPO could be hotter than Snowflake. Well, TC, you just sat here and told us how great Snowflake is and about their IPO. So why are you, why'd you bury the lead here if this thing's going to be even better? Well, this specific IPO, this is company American Well, also called Amwell. This is a Google-backed IPO in a remote healthcare space. For those of you familiar with that space at all, you probably think Teladoc is one of the first companies that comes to mind. They're a big competitor of Teladoc. And the reason we're tying this in, it's a perfect transition between IPOs and the data stuff and the uh, next to the topics that we're going to talk about really data in healthcare. This is not a data company. Again, this is a medical, a remote medicine company ever going to be launching. They've seen significant sales growth this year, especially with the prevalence of remote medicine, telemedicine this year with all the pandemic issues going on. Uh, but I also did think it was a kind of a, as an aside here, why is it better than Snowflake? That was my first question when I read that, you know, well, why could this be hotter than Snowflake? Why is this better? They made some great points that uh, Amwell is backed by Google. Snowflake is kind of competing with Google and Amazon and Microsoft. Snowflake's operating in a space that have been traditionally kind of really controlled by the big tech companies, again, the Amazon, Google, Microsofts of the world. And while Snowflake has a really interesting and cool model and a uh, something new and relevant, it is something to consider that just like in any market, there is a risk of kind of an over-concentration or too many competing options in the market where some of them might not succeed long-term. Again, I think Snowflake's positioned and differentiated themselves where that won't be the case. But 
it's worth uh, mentioning. And again, at the end of the day, this was just too perfect of a transition between a healthcare company and the topic and the IPO topic we were just covering. So one to touch on Amwell, another one that'll be interesting to see kind of how it takes off. Um, and for the data folks out there, how it compares to Snowflake, just because they truly are taking two very different kind of business models towards this IPO launch. The main topic we really want to dive in here with healthcare is based on that digital journal article, big data analytics in healthcare is all about ethics. And this is really where healthcare is probably one of the trickiest places when we're talking about big data and actually effectively using big data. Because one of the core tenets of big data is having a ridiculous amount of identifiable structured data that you can analyze. We've talked in plenty and plenty of episodes, some of the biggest challenges you run into with data analysis are maintaining data, having accurately structured data in a way that you can actually functionally use it, having clean data. All those things are important. And, you know, from the clean perspective, maybe you don't have to worry about that much in healthcare because um, data is, you know, maybe uh, held at a little higher of a standard. There's more um reliance and necessity to make sure that stuff's really clean and accurate however you having all that data going back to that point of it that's a challenge in healthcare one of the biggest consistent hurdles that healthcare companies and healthcare data related companies face is ethics privacy how do you use this information First off, there's all types of privacy and consent that tie in with delicate information when it comes to health information, the data points that you'd have in this field. There, you have to not only get a lot of consent, but there's things like HIPAA out there, um, lots of laws. Health data is just one of those things that frankly is, um, there's a lot of tape around it and frankly, rightfully so. Um, it's very important personal stuff that while you and your doctor want to be able to analyze it, you don't necessarily want all those pieces of information fed into some large database that's analyzing tons of things and maybe would open up some of the bigger big data possibilities the other component is even if you get that consent there's still an ethical responsibility to not have this be used maliciously um, one of the things about healthcare one of the reasons it's such a typically you know quote unquote good field so many times is that most of the things in the healthcare space and again it's not without fail the world's not perfect are used to move society forward for the greater good i i feel good about generally saying that again across the board even with some of the challenges that we have with the economics of healthcare in our country but you can't use this stuff maliciously you can't have it tied to individual people and do something that would endanger, again, those HIPAA laws and those privacy concerns. You have to ensure it's not going to be tied back to a person where it could be used against them for something like insurance rates. Again, there is an opportunity to transform the way we think about healthcare data. And there's not a perfect solution here, but we have to find a way to get people to trust that this truly will be used in the right way and set up the type of uh, almost walls or parameters or confines or processes, whatever it may be, that ensure that we can still collect more of this data than we're able to get today and feed it into large systems that are able to analyze things and make really interesting discoveries from a meta perspective across populations when it comes to health. Uh, think about how much advancement that can lead to based on just every other industry that uses it like this. And again, this is not to say that healthcare doesn't use data. Healthcare uses tons of data, but I've heard from people in the industry how much of a challenge this is, and it is something to consider. This is almost a hope for me is that we as business folks and people who work in the data sphere find ways to push this forward and move this forward because I think there's so much opportunity, not necessarily even from a financial perspective, but just from a global good perspective. And it's something that really, again, it can help humanity, frankly, more than business, you can almost say. And I do think that it's one of the last hurdles in the data world. How do we truly get more healthcare data 
process it at the high levels that we do in other industries where there's not as many walls, there's much tape. And how do we make those advancements? It's something that I'm kind of passionate about. Um, I've thought a lot about and I have no solutions, but um, it is something I kind of continue to strive for. So uh, while we're kind of on this theme of things TC cares about and kind of are on the radar, the last one's kind of a heavier subject, but one I think it's really important. It was this great article um, that I was reading from the Military Times called How Data Analytics Can Help Prevent Veteran Suicides. So again, veteran mental health support, this is a personal topic for me due to some personal connections I have and some folks um, I know that uh, are veterans that have had some mental health issues and gone through that. Um, so frankly, again, this is my show. That's why we're talking about this is something I am passionate and care about, um, even if it is kind of a heavy, dark subject, for being honest. Uh, the stats, we still have about 20 U.S. veteran suicides a day in the U.S., and we need to be better. Come on, we we have to make that number lower. Um, it's such a tragic thing to think about and a tragic number. And one of the biggest that's been a defined issue that they've seen, like, why is that number so high? What are we doing wrong here? Is that things are not noticed and not identified through the VA and through the resources we have in place until it's too late. It is a very uh, kind of reactive model we have now for identifying this. Um, it's called a bottom-up approach where each event is kind of reactively analyzed for trends that you can try to apply. But again, unfortunately, it's each event when it's too late is identified and that's how we go. What this article discusses is the opportunity, the bright side here, the way we're going to make this better and we're going to eliminate this issue, which is long, long overdue. And it's to move to a top-down approach. So this is something that it does not wait until an event has happened. It identifies things ahead of time. It's able to predict patterns, add identifiers, add triggers, add things that can indicate that a veteran or a group of veterans, whatever it may be, is at a higher risk for these issues so that we can do more active, proactive intervention. We can do things to help before it is too late. And I, there's lots of new research that's needed on this. This article just kind of really started touching on some of it. And again, this is another one that I'm going to do a lot more digging into on my personal time. Maybe we'll be back in the future with a little bit more on this. But between someone's military history, um, the different events and things that have been logged from a military perspective throughout their history, and different tests that could be done both uh, at the beginning of, you know, uh, when someone enlists, um, when someone deploys, when they're back, everything along the way, the different tests you could do to identify changes over time. We could take all of this data and do a better job of feeding it into our models that do identify and prevent. Unfortunately, we need some of that reactive data to understand kind of what our, you know, some of the triggers we should be looking for are. But uh, again, unfortunately, we have a lot of that data now. Um, so this is a plea to anyone out there that's in this space. Again, it's something that I'm passionate about. I'm trying to find ways that I can personally help with this more and do more with this. But there's so much opportunity to build more extensive models that help identify in veterans, mental health issues, mental health triggers, things, warning flags and warning signs, things like that. It's one of the use cases I'm most excited to see how this plays out and how this advances. Because again, I think it's something that we owe our veterans something I'm passionate about. And I think it's something with so much, you know, meat on the bone, so much opportunity. If we just figure out a more effective way of doing this and kind of change this approach from being reactive to using data to be proactive, such a cool opportunity. With that, we are going to wrap up this episode of diving into data. Again, our episode today was titled data is dominating wall street. We did data IPOs galore, where we talked about Snowflake and JFrog coming out, what they've done, and what it means for the fact that these data companies are becoming more and more common on the stock market. We also talked about some of the upcoming ones as it relates to Palantir and the recently completed Unity 
IPO, which used data, not bankers, to set their initial offerings and how that could kind of change the way those IPO uh, processes work in the future. And then we dived in a little bit to big data and healthcare and wellness, specifically um, the cool Amwell tie-in that's both an IPO, but also something that competes in the uh, kind of compares to Snowflake and see what happens there and see how those compare. Um, talking about data ethics and privacy, again, this is a topic we've touched on in the past, but uh, it's one of the biggest hurdles that I just wish we found a more effective way to overcome because there's still so much opportunity um, for healthcare data analysis if we had more structured data from a high level and we didn't have those uh, kind of hurdles that are necessary but um, do present a challenge and we wrapped up with a kind of serious topic about veteran mental health support and how we could potentially in the future use data to more proactively identify um, folks who may be at risk of mental health issues and get them the help and support that they absolutely deserve and need um, before it's too late instead of a, a reactive approach that we've kind of taken now. We hope that everyone has enjoyed this show. I hope that you all enjoy this fall weather while it lasts before it gets too cold. And with that, we will see you again soon here on Diving Into Data. See ya.